Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. A gun rights group says the recently passed omnibus bill is violating Second Amendment rights. The group fears guns might be confiscated from Americans in the future. The nationwide removal of Confederate memorials marches onward. This time it's West Point Military Academy that is taking down the relics. The January 6th committee is dropping its subpoena against former President Donald Trump. Trump attorney Harmeet Dillon responded, calling the subpoena an assault on the Constitution. Elon Musk says healthy questioning is part of science, and he announced a new policy at Twitter to support that. Competing forces on the U.S. economy next year, recovery growth versus a monetary policy meant to reduce inflation. Will slow growth or even a recession fall upon the nation as predicted? A gun rights group is criticizing the recently passed omnibus bill, saying it violates Second Amendment rights. And the Biden administration expands cracking down on so-called ghost guns. National gun rights organization Gun Owners of America, or GOA, raised alarm over the omnibus appropriations bill recently passed by Congress. The group released a statement listing various points, which it says will advance a gun control agenda and infringe on Second Amendment rights through gun confiscation. One of the items on the list is a 14% budget increase for the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives. GOA says the money will be used to modernize the National Tracing Center and expand a database of gun and gun owners. Their statement says this NTC data sharing technology will upgrade ATF's gun registry and create door-to-door confiscation lists of Americans who lawfully purchase these newly banned firearms, such as AR-15 pistols. The bill would also expand so-called red flag laws that enable officials to confiscate guns from mentally ill people, for example. The GOA says it will discourage the mentally ill from getting the help they need because they risk being stripped of their rights. The group criticizes members of Congress who voted for the plan, saying it's an outrage that any legislator sworn to uphold the Constitution and the Second Amendment would even consider passing a 4,155-page, $1.7 trillion appropriations bill with so many gun control provisions. Our founding fathers would be ashamed. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is doubling down on its crackdown on so-called ghost guns by issuing guidance that basically expands the definition of what readily converted means in a new federal rule. This makes more do-it-yourself pistol parts subject to restrictions. The ghost gun rule was put in place in August and requires that frames and receivers that could be readily converted into fully operational guns are subject to the same regulations as traditional firearms. However, lawmakers argued the definition of the word readily in the regulation wasn't clear. Now it's been clarified that nearly complete handgun frames or receivers, basically the pistol grip and firing mechanism, will be treated the same as fully completed firearms. The U.S. Military Academy at West Point has begun the removal and modification of 13 Confederate memorials and symbols on its campus. This continues the nationwide trend of taking such Confederate memorials down. And today's Daniel Monahan has the details. 
The modifications were recommended by the Congressionally Mandated Naming Commission. The Naming Commission was formed under the National Defense Authorization Act of 2021. It was created to assign, modify, or remove names, symbols, and monuments within the Department of Defense that commemorate the Confederacy. The Commission says the removal recommendations were not made with any intention of erasing history, but rather to affirm West Point's long tradition of educating future generations of America's military leaders to represent the best of national ideals. The Military Academy is taking down a portrait of Confederate General Robert E. Lee from its library. It will also remove a stone bust of the general from Reconciliation Plaza and a bronze piece from the main entrance of Bartlett Hall. The Academy will replace a quote from Lee displayed at Honor Plaza as well. Multiple buildings, streets, and areas around the West Point campus are scheduled to be renamed. Hundreds of Confederate statues and displays have been removed from public spaces across the country. One catalyst is said to be the death of George Floyd in 2020. Reactions to the removals have been mixed. Retired U.S. Army General Barry McCaffrey tweeted, Fully support removing all symbols that honor Confederate leaders. The most terrible of American wars was solely driven by the enslavement of black Americans. While retired U.S. Army Reserve Major Montgomery Granger took the opposite perspective, he tweeted, The ignorance is stunning. My ancestors were Union, but after Lee's surrender, Grant told his troops, The rebels are our countrymen again. Profound. Historical. Now fleeting. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The House Committee investigating the January 6th Capitol breach is withdrawing its subpoena of former President Donald Trump. Chairman Benny Thompson wrote a letter to Trump's attorney Wednesday explaining why. He said the committee can no longer pursue the information covered by the subpoena because the investigation is ending. Trump was subpoenaed in October for documents about testimony, but he never complied. Instead, Trump sued the committee to block the subpoena. The committee has referred Trump to the Justice Department for potential criminal prosecution on four separate charges. Trump attorney Harmeet Dillon told the Washington Examiner, quote, President Trump defended the doctrine of separation of powers and the independence of the presidency. She called the subpoena an assault on those principles. Dillon also denounced the January 6th committee in a tweet for what she called a total abuse of process and power. Members of the public will soon be able to enter the U.S. Capitol for the first time since March 2020. That's when the outgoing Speaker of the House closed the historic structure in response to the pandemic. The reopening of the Capitol will coincide with the first day of the new session of Congress on January 3rd. Leading House Speaker candidate Kevin McCarthy said, quote, For 973 days, the American people have been restricted from their constitutional right to petition the first branch of government. He says it's no longer acceptable. Closing the Capitol complex was one of many actions taken by outgoing Speaker Nancy Pelosi in response to recommendations from legislative officials. During the closure, only members of Congress and select congressional aides, credentialed journalists, and essential workers were able to access the facilities. Surging numbers of migrants are trying to cross through Mexico to reach the U.S. Along the way, many are taking advantage of their situation. A sprawling network of lawyers, fixers, and middlemen has taken root, and they're trucking to turn a profit. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the growing corruption. Where some see despair, others see opportunity. Legal papers, freedom from detention, transit permits, temporary visas. All are available for a price via the network. Mexico has long been plagued by drug cartels that make millions from smuggling migrants. 
Now lawyers, fixers, and middlemen are also looking to get a percentage. Andre Ramirez, chief of the Mexican Commission for Refugee Aid, says corrupt practices such as selling documents have been on the rise since last year. Um, miserable. It is a miserable thing to do as far as we are concerned. Because how is it possible that the people who are in need of international protection suffer at the hands of officials, of the body that is in charge of their protection? When Mexico's president took office in 2018, he said fighting corruption was a top priority and declared the National Immigration Institute as one of the country's most corrupt institutions. Yet only a small percent of internal investigations have even made it to the prosecutor's office, about one in every 1,000. This corruption is unbelievable, and I have had talks with people who are experts in migration, and they tell me that this is never going to end, because many, many high officials are involved. Lawyers and brokers advertise prices for various safe passage papers through social media. Options range from $250 for transit to $1,100 for humanitarian visas for temporary legal stays in Mexico. Immigration officials are being accused of colluding with law firms. One such firm advertises on large signs outside its local immigration detention center. We are neither profiting nor stealing, nor doing anything outside the framework of the law. Working and working well does not imply doing something illegal. The firms allegedly get privileged access to migrant detention centers and to lists of those recently detained before they arrive, so they can offer their services as the only alternative. They asked for money at the migration detention center. First, you have to give the lawyers $150 to $500 to get you out of here. If not, they tell you they are going to deport you back to your country. They are colluding with the immigration authorities. In fiscal year 2022, U.S. authorities arrested nearly 2.4 million people trying to cross the border illegally. That's up 37% from the year before. The annual total is more than twice the highest level recorded during former President Trump's time in office. The Trump-era policy Title 42 was set to end this month, but will remain for now. But many migrants had already set out with news that Title 42 would end. I endured cold and hunger and now will end up taking the illegal routes through the narrow paths. The record number of illegal border crossings is wreaking havoc on the system. In El Paso, Texas, a new processing center is being built. Officials say it will increase capacity by about 1,000 people. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Elon Musk has announced a new Twitter policy. The new guidelines are to follow the science. However, Musk says that part of that process is the reasoned questioning of the science. Entity's Daniel Monahan has the story. The Greek Euripides said question everything, but the old Twitter policy could better be described as question everything that conflicts with official government positions. That is, at least according to David Zweig's latest COVID-themed Twitter files. Zweig wrote that Twitter did suppress views, many from doctors and scientific experts that conflicted with the official positions of the White House. As a result, legitimate findings and questions that would have expanded the public debate went missing. He says the accounts of doctors and others were suspended or shadow banned for tweeting opinions and demonstrably true information. The following are some examples. Stanford's Dr. Jay Bhattacharya argued that COVID lockdowns would harm children. He said that places that avoided lockdowns had better results. Places that have followed such a strategy, Florida, 
uh, Sweden, other places around the world have done much better in terms of overall health outcomes. That got him on a trends blacklist that prevented his tweets from trending. Harvard epidemiologist Martin Koldorf tweeted that, quote, thinking that everyone must be vaccinated is as scientifically flawed as thinking no one should. Those with prior natural infection don't need it, nor children. Koldorf's tweet was hit with a misleading label and all replies and likes were shut off. American cardiologist Dr. Peter McCullough, formerly vice chief of internal medicine at Baylor University Medical Center, saw his account banned for vocally warning people about the dangers of myocarditis in connection with COVID vaccines. And mRNA vaccine researcher Robert Malone's account was apparently suspended for challenging the effectiveness of the vaccines. Meanwhile, Musk tweeted yesterday that anyone who says that questioning them is questioning science itself cannot be regarded as a scientist. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Just ahead, residents of Jackson, Mississippi are lining up for water after multiple pipe bursts because of the storm. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Next, we delve into the economic outlook for the U.S. next year. There are concerns of slow growth and even recession. We hear from an associate professor of economics at Florida Atlantic University on what to expect, what can be done, and the Federal Reserve's role. Joining us now to give analysis of what to expect is William Luther, the director of the American Institute for Economic Research's Sound Money Project. It's a pleasure speaking with you today, William. Nice to be here. J.P. Morgan expects the economy to grow only about a half to 1% next year, which is less than post-pandemic gains and about 1% less than the long-term average annual growth rate. What does this mean for Americans and what should they expect? Well, um, I should start by saying that the J.P. Morgan estimate is perhaps a bit optimistic. Um, The Federal Reserve, the median um, member of the Federal Open Market Committee is projecting um, just half a percent growth. So half a percent to one percent uh, is, is optimistic by comparison. Um, what that means is that um, there's a, a much bigger risk of a recession than um, perhaps many people expected uh, just a few months ago. Um, unemployment is very low at the moment, so even if it picks up, it will still be uh, pretty low. But, but half a percent real GDP growth is, is just incredibly low. Um, and again, raises that risk that um, it will it will turn negative as well. What do you think gives J.P. Morgan an optimistic outlook? Well, I wouldn't say it's optimistic. It's just more optimistic than uh, um, than the Fed's uh, projection. Um, there, you know, there are basically two things going on at the moment. On the one hand, you know, we're st- we still have this uh, long run recovery from the pandemic uh, and the and the corresponding. Um, uh, uh, policy uh, uh, to deal with that that pandemic. So production contracted very sharply, and we have um, uh, opened that production all back up. Um, but it takes some time for those uh, supply constraints to to ease up and production to return to normal. Um, we're we're nearly back to where we were pre-pandemic, um, to that pre-pandemic tra- trajectory, uh, but not quite. So we have this longer run. Uh, recovery that's still ongoing. On the other hand, the the monetary policy over the last uh, year and a half has been a bit loose. We've seen very high uh, inflation. 
Um, and uh, the Federal Reserve is taking steps to bring that inflation down. And the way they do that is, is by slowing that, uh, that growth. Um, and so we have these kind of two competing forces right now where we have a, a, um, an increase in, in uh, growth due to the recovery, but a decrease in growth uh, due to a monetary policy trying to keep inflation uh, under control. Um, and so the question is just how that how that shakes out, which of those dominate and and to what extent. And so in part, we're just kind of playing a waiting game here. I want to ask you, Vanguard's global chief economist says the U.S. may experience a recession in 2023, but he says it probably won't be a serious one. What measures can be taken to mitigate this outcome? Well, the the answer, I think, is is not much, um, unfortunately. Uh, we have we have gotten ourselves in the situation where I- inflation is just way too high, and the Federal Reserve needs to engage in contractionary monetary policy in order to prevent inflation expectations from rising and and resulting in uh, longer run inflation, uh, um, uh, inflation that becomes entrenched in our economy, inflation that we would have to deal with year after year after year. We don't want that, um, and so we're we're going to have to accept some. Uh, slightly lower economic growth here in the short term um, while we get that inflation uh, under under control in order to avoid uh, slower economic growth in the long term as well. Some of this may be in the heads of the Fed. Okay, well, Professor William Luther, Director of the American Institute for Economic Research's Sound Money Project, really great to have your analysis. My pleasure. Banking giant J.P. Morgan Chase is under fire, accused of benefiting from sex trafficking by billionaire Jeffrey Epstein. It comes after an attorney in the U.S. Virgin Islands filed a suit Tuesday saying the bank failed to report suspicious activity. According to the lawsuit, human trafficking was the principal business of the accounts Epstein maintained at J.P. Morgan. The lawsuit accuses the bank of not complying with federal regulations and failing to make proper regulatory filings that could have tipped the government off to Epstein's alleged sex trafficking ring of underage girls. The new lawsuit comes less than a month after Attorney General Denise George settled the U.S. Virgin Islands lawsuit against Epstein's estate for more than $105 million. It came with an agreement to sell Epstein's islands and end business operations there. A J.P. Morgan Chase spokesperson declined to comment Wednesday evening. It's been a tumultuous travel experience for Southwest Airlines customers this holiday season. The airline canceled more than 5,000 flights between Tuesday and Wednesday. Now American Airlines is stepping in to try and help stranded travelers return home. The company says it will place price caps on some of their flights, and the prices vary by location. Southwest does not have agreements with other carriers to allow passengers to rebook with different airlines. There were other airlines posting last-minute flights, but they cost thousands of dollars. Officials in Buffalo have arrested 10 people for alleged looting during the blizzard. Police say more arrests are coming, and they are urging people to turn themselves in. As I've said multiple times, we will be making more arrests. I strongly urge a lot of these uh, incidents that had video, you're out there, you've been on social media, you've been on TV, do yourself a favor, make things very easy for yourself, just come in and turn yourself in, accept the consequences and the responsibility of what you did so we can get these businesses back on track to serve the community that they are there for. 
At midnight, the ban on driving will be lifted in Buffalo as well as throughout western New York. Meanwhile, only three Buffalo residents remain without power, down from a high of 20,000 customers. Police in Georgia invoked a classic Christmas movie to share a recent case. Gainesville police released this mugshot of a visibly injured man. Police accused the 30-year-old of hiding behind the business, pulling a gun on an employee who exited and robbing them for cash. They say this capture was like a scene from Home Alone. Just a warning, some viewers may find the photo disturbing. According to the police, he was hurt after he got into a fight with one employee. When another worker walked out of the business, he was spooked, so he fired a shot, then tried to run away. But he fell and slipped, hitting his head on the ice. People were able to detain him until police arrived. The man has been charged with armed robbery and armed assault. Water distribution stations are set up in Jackson, Mississippi to hand out bottled water to residents. The city faces a water system crisis following the winter storm. On Sunday, the Jackson government asked residents to boil their tap water after frequent pipe bursts across the city. Maintenance crews continue to repair damaged pipes, but the city is still experiencing severe water shortages. Jackson has a population of 150,000. Residents have long suffered from poor water quality, and the supply of water to most of the city was shut down for several days in August. At that time, floodwaters knocked a water treatment plant offline. The Arctic deep freeze is reducing across the U.S., but thousands of Americans are still coping with the effects. NBC News says that across the country, at least 60 lives were lost in weather-related incidents. The mastermind of the largest college admissions fraud scheme ever uncovered is on trial. Federal prosecutors are asking the judge to sentence him to six years in prison. The same judge helped them secure convictions for dozens of wealthy parents involved in the scheme, including Hollywood celebrities. William Rick Singer goes before the judge next week after pleading guilty in 2019. He admitted to facilitating cheating on college entrance exams and funneling money from wealthy parents to secure the admission of their children as fake athletic recruits. His own lawyers are asking for 12 months of home confinement or six months in prison, citing his decision to cooperate. But prosecutors say his crimes warrant the longest sentence of all the defendants involved in the scheme. U.S. experts are disputing an investigation of the Ethiopian Airlines crash that killed nearly 160 people in 2019. They say the report didn't pay enough attention to crew training and emergency procedures. The accident followed a similar crash five months earlier and led to the grounding of Boeing 737 MAX jets worldwide. Ethiopia's Aircraft Investigation Bureau released its long-delayed report and blamed the accident on uncommanded inputs from Boeing's maneuvering system. The United States National Transportation Safety Board disagrees with at least two key findings. It found that a faulty sensor may have been damaged by a bird strike soon after takeoff, which was ignored by the Ethiopian investigators. The organization also accused their Ethiopian counterparts of focusing on design issues at the expense of problems with the crew's training and reaction. Operators have since resumed flying the 737 MAX after the plane's 20-month grounding. Ethiopia was among the last countries to return the 737 MAX to service. 
Alaska crabbers could receive $300 million in federal disaster relief after the state suspended the 2022 harvest season for the first time in history over a rapidly declining snow crab population. The Senate last week approved funding for fishery disasters within the massive omnibus bill for 2023. This month, Secretary of Commerce Gina Raimondo has so far declared six fishery disasters for Alaska and Washington, marking the first step toward securing relief funding. The announcement followed the October cancellation of the 2022 Bristol Bay snow crab harvest because surveys revealed an unprecedented 90% drop in the crab population. Alaska Fish and Game called off the 2022 harvest season for the second time in two years due to low Bering Sea Red King crab numbers. The Alaska Bering Sea Crabbers Trade Association said the $300 million in disaster relief should help these industries survive and fund research to prevent future market challenges. Seven people were hurt after a Grand Canyon tour helicopter crashed Tuesday at a Las Vegas area airport. A Boulder City spokeswoman called the crash at the city's airport a hard landing. She said the pilot and six passengers were taken to the hospital for treatment of non-life-threatening injuries. The aircraft operator was identified as Las Vegas-based Papillon Grand Canyon Helicopter Air Tours. And just ahead, the U.S. imposes testing requirements for travelers from China. The rules outlining what's needed to board flights to America. And a fire at a casino in Cambodia kills at least 19 people. The site has been popular among visitors from Thailand. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. The U.S. is placing new restrictions on travelers from China. This as Beijing is allowing citizens to travel abroad while virus cases at home are hitting a record high. NTD's Tiffany Meyer has the details. The U.S. is imposing restrictions on passengers from China. Starting January 5th, all passengers from China need one of two items to be able to board a plane to the U.S a negative COVID-19 test or documentation of recovery. The move comes as several countries place restrictions on tourists from China. On Tuesday, Beijing said it would soon allow Chinese citizens to travel abroad. This as the virus cases inside China hit an all-time high and with hospitals and funeral homes overflowing. U.S. carriers are also weighing their options. United Airlines said it's evaluating when to add more flights to China. Right now, the number of flights between the U.S. and China are capped at 12 per side per week. That's about 7 percent of the number of flights pre-pandemic. Some of China's neighbors are already on the move. Taiwan plans to start testing visitors from mainland China for the virus starting January. The new year is fast approaching, and the island is expecting tens of thousands of mainland Chinese tourists. Further north, Japan says it will require all travelers from China to go through virus testing starting at the end of this month. Those who test positive must quarantine for seven days. Japan is also limiting flights to and from China. South Korea is expected to announce new measures for Chinese travelers this Friday, while India is already testing travelers from nations, including China. It's also bracing for a new wave of virus cases. 
Hospitals across India are doing drills to prepare for possible scenarios. In Europe, Italy is testing all Chinese travelers for the CCP virus, which causes COVID-19. That's after it found half of the passengers on two flights to Milan were infected. Italy is also performing virus sequencing to check for possible new variants. Health officials say they may impose stricter rules if a new strain is found. In Germany, a politician is calling for the suspension of flights between China and the European Union. Right now, some people in China must sign a special confidentiality contract. That's if they want services from funeral homes. Shown in a photo online, a notice is being circulated by a facility there, asking families to confirm that their deceased did not die of COVID-19. But some are raising doubts. Here's what one Chinese resident had to say. China will open again on January 8th to connect with the world. But the domestic epidemic is so serious, it has to cover up this serious situation. He questions whether authorities are covering up the true death toll from the current outbreak. At least 19 people were killed and more were missing in Cambodia after a fire broke out at a casino. It happened in a town on the border with Thailand. Officials said today that up to 30 people were missing. Rescuers could be seen working to extricate people feared trapped. The casino hotel complex is hugely popular with short-term visitors from Thailand where gambling is illegal. Thai authorities said at least 25 people were being treated in hospitals across the border in Thailand. 70% of those affected showed symptoms of smoke inhalation. Cambodian police said hundreds of personnel from military, police and rescue teams had joined the rescue effort. And staying in Asia, another tragedy. At least five people were killed and dozens were injured in South Korea after a major fire broke out on a highway. The fire broke out on an expressway near the capital, Seoul, this afternoon local time. An emergency official said five people were killed and at least 37 people were injured. Three of them were seriously injured. Altogether, 44 vehicles were destroyed. Dozens of firefighters, medical personnel and investigators worked at the scene. The heavy traffic made it difficult for vehicles to escape as the fire spread. A fire official at the scene said the fire had been put out, but they are still investigating the cause. Media said the fire appeared starting after a bus and truck collided. The island of Taiwan could soon increase its arms supplies. That's thanks to a potential $180 million arms sale approved by the Biden administration yesterday. It comes amid ongoing tensions between the island and the Chinese regime. Washington has long provided arms to the island under the terms of the Taiwan Relations Act. There is bipartisan support for supplying Taiwan with weapons. However, the move is likely to provoke anger from Beijing, which views Taiwan as its own. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Coming up, the standoff between Serbia and Kosovo begins to ease. Kosovo is reopening its largest border crossing with Serbia. And over in the UK, the public prepares for significantly disrupted travel. Rail workers, as well as driving instructors and border workers are all back on strike. More shortly here on NTD News Today.
Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky held a video conference yesterday with BlackRock CEO Larry Fink. BlackRock is one of the world's leading investment managers. The New York-based BlackRock manages client assets worth about $8 trillion. President Zelensky's website reported that BlackRock has been working on a project to advise the Ukrainian government on how to structure Ukraine's reconstruction funds. BlackRock leaders plan to visit Ukraine in the new year. Zelensky also said that Ukraine would participate in next year's World Economic Fund Summit in Switzerland. The Washington Examiner reported that both BlackRock and the World Economic Fund are controversial due to pushing environmental, social, and governance practices known as ESG. Staying in Europe, tension is beginning to ease between Serbia and Kosovo. Kosovo reopened its biggest border crossing with Serbia today. Serbs in northern Kosovo had been blocking roads for the past 19 days. They were protesting against the arrest of a former Serb policeman. The Serbian president said they would start removing barricades today. Hours later, Kosovo police said they reopened its biggest border crossing with Serbia. Two other border crossings with Serbia and northern Kosovo remain closed. Both the European Union and the U.S. have been pressing Kosovo and Serbia to step back from a mounting confrontation. In the U.K., rail workers, border force staff, and driving examiners resumed strikes yesterday as many people were returning to work after the Christmas break. It follows disruptions to rail travel in the run-up to Christmas, with many facing delays to their journeys. Passengers have been told to prepare for significantly disrupted travel in the new year. Here's the story. Warnings to plan ahead before travelling with a fresh wave of strikes expected to affect thousands of people into the new year. Border force staff, rail workers and driving examiners are striking. Some border force staff at Britain's largest airports are walking out over pay, jobs and working conditions. A thousand members of the Public and Commercial Services Union will be on strike until New Year's Eve impacting Gatwick, Heathrow, Birmingham, Cardiff, Manchester and Glasgow airports and the port of New Haven. Union leaders said the dispute could continue for six months. They've asked the public to blame the government for any disruption they cause. Driving examiners employed by the Driver and Vehicle Standard Agency have also launched a five-day strike in a dispute over pay, jobs and pensions. Union members in 71 test centres in eastern England and Midlands are involved in the walkouts. Rail disruption is also set to continue as members of the Transport Salaried Staffed Association, or TSSA, at Great Western Railway and West Midland trains say they'll go on strike. There were scenes of crowds in London's King's Cross this week. It's reported that unions may split ballots by job titles rather than having a single vote. The I newspaper said the TSSA is poised to have different sections of its membership vote at different times, so they can carry out multiple walkouts each week. A Department of Transport spokesman described the strike action over Christmas as incredibly disappointing and urged unions to step back, reconsider and get back round the table So we can start 2023 by ending this damaging dispute. Highway workers have planned several days of strikes in January. There's also a two-day teacher's strike in Scotland and a one-day strike on January the 11th by ambulance workers in England and Wales. 
In early January, the UK's health security agency will stop publishing modeling data on COVID-19. Chief data scientist Nick Watkins said it is no longer necessary to publish as the country is now living with COVID. The R range and the growth rate were first published in May 2020 for all of the UK until April 2021 when it was published only for England. These data sets show how quickly epidemics are growing or shrinking. The last publication of the data will be on January 6th. Watkins said, now that vaccines and therapeutics have allowed us to move to a phase where we are living with COVID-19, the publication of this specific data is no longer necessary. He said they will continue to monitor COVID in the same way they monitor other common diseases and illnesses. In Argentina, a legal crisis is unfolding. The country's president is rejecting a ruling by the Argentina Supreme Court over how to spend state funds. The Supreme Court ruling on Wednesday would have given a larger proportion of state funds to the capital city of Buenos Aires. Argentina has a system to regulate how state funds are distributed between the country's regions. Buenos Aires is controlled by a conservative mayor and had been pushing for a larger slice. Left-leaning President Alberto Fernandez said he would reject the ruling. He said the court ruling was politically motivated and that it would hurt the other provinces. The president said his government would challenge the members of the Supreme Court and seek to have the ruling revoked. His remarks sparked backlash from both sides. Protesters gathered in Bolivia's Santa Cruz after police detained a prominent opposition leader on charges of terrorism. Here's that story. Tensions flared in La Paz, Bolivia on Wednesday as people protested the detention of the prominent opposition leader Luis Fernando Camacho. Governor of Santa Cruz was arrested in his home city and taken to a police station in La Paz. Camacho was detained on charges of terrorism, Bolivia's state attorney's office confirmed. His lawyer shared clips purportedly showing the moment of the governor's arrest. A passenger who was with Camacho recalled their vehicle being stopped by men dressed in black who smashed their windows in with the butts of their rifles. Amateur clips have emerged showing people clashing with staff at the airport in Santa Cruz and storming its runway in an apparent attempt to stop Camacho from being taken to another location. Protesters claimed their governor had been kidnapped. Local media footage showed security forces using tear gas on the streets of Santa Cruz. The Bolivian state attorney's office said Camacho's arrest was linked to the toppling of former leftist president Evo Morales in 2019. Camacho is the second high-profile figure to be detained in connection to the case after last year's jailing of ex-president Janine Añez for orchestrating a coup. Bolivia's interior minister later rejected claims that Camacho was injured, tweeting that the governor was given a medical assessment and his health was stable. Camacho had been leading weeks of protests that started in October fueled by anger over the government's delay in carrying out Bolivia's population census. A new census would have seen Santa Cruz, which has long butted heads with rival city La Paz, securing more tax revenues and seats in Congress. A U.S. State Department spokesperson has urged Bolivian authorities to respect due process against those charged. Coming up, an art restoration project is underway at a Venetian palace. Over the next year, restorers will examine some of the world's most famous pieces. 
Elsewhere in Italy, archaeologists have made a major discovery. A newly found collection of bronze statues could revise early Roman history. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Good to have you back with us. Over in Israel, authorities are granting people rare access to an ancient cave in the Judean desert. The cave is a treasure trove of information about ancient life. The Murabat Cave in the Judean desert overlooks the Dead Sea in the West Bank. It hangs in the middle of a cliff and is only accessible via a steep trail through the rocky terrain. Israel's Antiquities Authority invited volunteers to help sort through buckets of dirt pulled from the bottom of the cave. Hundreds have already arrived for the week-long excavation. Some 180 papyrus certificates were found in the cave. One of them bears the name of a Jewish rebel leader against the Romans, Shimon Bar Yochai. For years, looters raided the cave, but the Israeli Antiquities Authority is working to salvage whatever items may still be buried. Art restorers at a Venetian palace are conducting a massive project to check artwork for decay and damage. Over the next year, they'll examine some of the world's most famous pieces. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the initiative. Gracing an entire wall in the Palazzo Ducale in Venice, Il Paradiso is one of the largest paintings in the world. The work spans more than 2,100 square feet. Over the next 14 months, restorers will map out all the works in this historic building. They'll note any decayed parts that require attention or restoration. We are involved in a monitoring project on the ornamentation of the whole building, moving from room to room with movable scaffolding. The goal of this work is to inspect up close all the surfaces that are decorated and map their state of conservation. At the end of this project, we will have an updated database on the state of conservation. The main work is conducted by sight and feel but also includes probes, photography, and multispectral techniques. In this work, we are primarily using the observational capacities of the restorer, who can get close to the services and observe them up close with the naked eye and touch them. So we are talking about a visual and tactile inspection. Secondly, we give a general dusting off to all services in order to better see what problems might emerge. The Italian government has provided about $530,000 of funding for the project. Once the entire job is complete, other groups are expected to step in to help fund further restoration if necessary. And so it's very important, big campaign at Palazzo Ducale to look at uh, all the rooms, at the ceilings, at, at certain areas where typically it's, you wouldn't be able to because it's rather expensive to set up scaffolding. But the funding that the museum has uh, to do this sort of testing and con state of conservation reports. The Palazzo was the center of political life in the Venetian Republic, which lasted from about 700 to 1800. The humidity and salt water in this old city has been particularly hard on the architecture and artwork. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Archaeologists in Italy say the recent discovery of a collection of bronze statues could rewrite the history of early Rome. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the compelling artifacts. Two dozen bronze statues were discovered in a sanctuary at an ancient Tuscan hot spring in November. The site is very rich. We are only dealing with the heart of a whole system that is enormous and that we have explored. Experts worked on the archaeological dig near Siena. 
They say the unearthed bronze statues could challenge our understanding of history, specifically the transition from Etruscan civilization to the Roman Empire. That happened roughly between the 2nd century BC to the 1st century AD. The artifact spent more than 2,000 years hidden under water and mud. The anaerobic atmosphere, devoid of oxygen, helped preserve the bronzes. This research will certainly contribute to enriching knowledge regarding the Romanization of this part of Etruria and the relationship between the Romans and the Etruscans, which is a very well-known and studied subject. The figures bear both Etruscan and Latin inscriptions. Outside the sanctuary, the time period was marked by wars. Inside, elite Etruscan and Roman families prayed together in peace. That's why the discovery represents an opportunity for scholars. They'll have the chance to revise what we know about how the Etruscans and Romans got along. We have a series of elements, such as inscriptions, votive offerings, and offerings in the curative and thermal spheres that give us a glimpse into the relationship that these two peoples had in this place, which is an important place, a place of healing, a place of peace, where people can come to pray and be cured. In the next few years, the site will host an archaeological park. A museum will house the recently discovered statues, as well as other artifacts. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Just ahead, the tourism industry starts to recover in 2022 after the pandemic. Popular destinations across the world are eager to welcome back tourists. As 2023 rolls in, people across the world share their wishes for the new year with peace and health topping the list. We'll be back with more soon here on NTD News. The tourism industry began to make a recovery in 2022 after being hit during pandemic lockdowns. This year, countries across the world were excited to welcome back tourists. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on some of the globe's popular destinations. Barcelona's beaches and streets were packed in July and August. Local officials said arrivals this summer were still around 15% to 20% down from 2019. But the city's tourism industry has started to recover. It's evident that the tourism sector has been reactivated. It has normalized to some extent, but with some differentiated elements. There's more proximity tourism. People want to go and travel. Another popular destination, Vienna. The European city is known for its imperial Habsburg architecture. The Austrian capital's notoriously good infrastructure and affordable public transport make it stand out. The criteria used for international rankings are, of course, topics such as infrastructure, public transport, education, and healthcare. And Vienna is in a very fortunate position in this respect. Tourists also went on camel safaris to see wildlife in Kenya's national parks. Riding the animals is considered better for the environment than taking vehicles. They don't create any emissions or tear up the ground beneath them. Ecotourism is not a hoax. It's real. This brings nature closer to us and us closer to nature. And the more close to your nature, the more you understand it, the more you like it, and the more, the less that you will not destroy it. Greenland reported a return to 2019 tourist levels this summer. 
the small town of Kangerlusik is 30 miles north of the Arctic Circle. Here, tourists can take a 15-mile bus trip to Russell Glacier. Belgian tourist Camilla Bruckner wanted to visit before it's too late. This was as much a trip we did because there is a very much a sense of urgency that we have to see this now before it disappears. From 2015 to 2016, Greenland saw visitor numbers increase from around 77,000 per year to almost 105,000. That's a large number, given the island's 56,000 residents. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Times Square in New York City saw hundreds of people line up yesterday to say good riddance to 2022. The annual event was hosted by Neighborhood Business Association, the Times Square Alliance. Participants were asked to write down all the things they want to get rid of in the new year, tear the pages up, and then complete an obstacle course. It's been described as a good way to be mindful about what to let go of. For some, this means feeling less self-conscious and living life to the fullest. For others, it means getting rid of an object that represents pain they went through. So in 2023, I'm trying to get rid of a lot of doubt that I had in 2022. Um, I just want to enjoy life more, have more experiences, take a dance class without worrying if I'm going to be like Beyonce and be amazing and just have fun at it. This was my cancer mask that I had to wear going through radiation and chemo. And I thought we were going to bash it with a sledgehammer or put it in a fire pit, but it doesn't seem to be. But we're still going to get rid of it. Out with the old, in with the new, ready or not, 2023 is coming. What do people wish for in the new year? Residents of Paris, Rome, Berlin, Ukraine, and Russia share their thoughts. Christmas lights and decorations lit up the French capital, Paris. After a chaotic and difficult year, what are Parisians looking up to in 2023? For some, the answer is simple. Joy. Yes, it's simple. After all, we went through these past few years, we can't ask for complicated things. Just being well as we are now and that it continues. That things get better, that everything is better than in 2022, that everything is better after what we went through. For others, the energy squeeze and rising prices remain major headaches. Peace. Peace, because with what's happening, bills are increasing, but salaries are not increasing. So, peace. That all this ends, we are a bit fed up. Me, I wish that the war in Ukraine ends so we are not worried, and that prices decrease, because it's becoming difficult for many people. Italians share the same concerns as the French, as the war between Russia and Ukraine weighs heavily on their minds. But still, the capital, Rome, is brimming with lights and shoppers. What we are surely hoping for next year is health, then the end of war between Russia and Ukraine, which has negative repercussions in territories of Ukraine and Russia, but it also has an impact in our country since inflation has skyrocketed. And I hope for more jobs in Italy, because we are in a dramatic situation. Too many people can't manage to live a decent life. Over in the German capital of Berlin, after several years of COVID-related restrictions, health is high on people's holiday wish lists. 
primarily to stay healthy. Exactly. Health is of utmost importance. All other things are uninteresting in comparison these days. And money, it must be the right amount. <laughs> in the southern Ukrainian city of Mykolaiv, a wartime Christmas tree made of camouflage netting echoes the holiday mood. After 10 months of living in fear of Russian shelling, residents here hope victory is on their side. There is no Christmas mood, but I really want our victory to come, to believe in this miracle that could happen. We believe in the armed forces of Ukraine. We believe in our victory. We want to celebrate not only Christmas and New Year, but we also want to celebrate victory. We wish everyone to have wonderful mood. We will have victory if there's proper mood. And so that everyone smiles. Yes, and so that everyone smiles. The war also dominates festive celebrations in Russia. In Moscow's Gorky Park, local families gather in a studio to record Christmas video messages. The recordings will be sent to soldiers on the front lines. I am from Moscow. We want our soldiers to come back as soon as possible. Despite the snow cover, Christmas trees give off warmth and glow, shining brightly into a brand new year. Probiotics occur naturally in many foods. The most popular source in the Western diet is yogurt. Here are 10 proven ways that yogurt can boost your health. The human gut contains several thousand strains of bacteria. Every person has a different mix. Some are beneficial, some are just there for the ride, and some can become problematic. When the balance between good and not so good bacteria is disrupted, lots of things can go wrong, from the immune system to digestion to mental health. Antibiotics, stress, excess alcohol, chlorine and other toxins can destroy good bugs and allow bad ones to thrive. To rebalance the microbiome of your gut, you need to repopulate it with good bacteria or probiotics. Probiotics occur naturally in many foods. The most popular source in the Western diet is yogurt. Yogurt has been proven to build strong bones, prevent diabetes, lower blood pressure, manage weight, reduce tooth decay, support bowel health, prevent colds and improve mental health. Dairy products are not right for everyone. However, fermented dairy products appear to significantly reduce their potential allergenicity. They also confer significant health benefits. Another option is goat milk based yogurt. It may provide an excellent alternative to cow's milk formulas. This is because its nutritional composition better matches that of human milk. This could be considered the ideal standard for compatibility. When buying yogurt, look for live active cultures on the label and also sugar-free versions that are organic. For the kiddos, you can add a bit of honey to sweeten. Unfortunately, most commercial yogurt products are junk food. They contain high amounts of added sugars, flavorings, preservatives, and thickeners. The ingredients should say milk and bacteria that's it. You can also try making yogurt at home. It's a simple process of heating milk, cooling it, adding cultures or some yogurt. Then you let it culture in a warm place overnight. There are plenty of easy recipes available on the internet. 
A Virginia zoo is ending the year in the most adorable way by welcoming a new baby hippopotamus to their family. The endangered pygmy hippo was born on December 6th. A neonatal exam performed three days after she was born said she was a healthy 16-pound baby. After a week, she weighed a little over 24 pounds, a far cry from the possible 600 pounds she could weigh when she grows up. Both baby and mommy are getting some bonding time away from the public. They will soon be moved into the indoor pool area visible to guests so the baby can start swimming. The Metro Richmond Zoo is the only place in Virginia where you can catch a glimpse of the endangered animal. If you do end up seeing the new addition, make sure you send a name suggestion. The zoo is asking for the public's help naming her. That's all for today's program. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.